We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Sub to the channel and smash the like, and we're continuing our series about media layoffs. Fun topic for everyone out there. Everyone losing their jobs, yet more money in the space than mm. ever before. Where is that money going? And I have a pretty good idea about it, and I it's funny because... I might as well bring you in right now. Uh, Andrew Patterson of Hustlerama on Twitter, hosting a show out in Winnipeg. I thought you were the kind of the, you're always an example that I use about this. So I figured, why don't I just get you on and talk about it? And we can talk about whatever the fuck you want too. But um, can you take people through your backstory a little bit before you started this channel? Because I think it's really interesting (laughs) and kind of a, it's a huge turning point for a lot of people because I had this turning point, you've had this turning point, and I know that a lot of other people, especially in the content sports media space, have been at this particular point. And some make the leap, some don't. Um, And I think that sometimes it is worth taking the leap. Yeah, Pat. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, like... I mean, I was the uh, I was the drive host from uh, the beginning of TSN 1290, the TSN All Sports Station in Winnipeg in 2011, uh, until they unceremoniously shut the station down on the 9th of February in 2021, and that was the first sort of that was the first layoff like city to city. They shut the Vancouver station down, they shut Winnipeg down, and they shut Hamilton down. And what was Kind of surprising about it, which I think caught us really off guard, is that of all the TSN stations, ours was one of, if not the best performing station by ratings in our market. Um, And up until shortly before it happened, we were also the uh, broadcast partner for the Winnipeg Jets. They did move on from that deal in the last year of a 10-year deal. And I guess in retrospect, we probably should have known that maybe that was going to lead to some bad news, although it was sold to us that now that they didn't have this large outlay of uh, however much the radio rights were every year, 
that the station would be easily profitable and we were in good graces. Um, so anyways, I had a great run, built up a good following here in Winnipeg, focusing on, you know, the Jets and the Bombers and, you know, I mean, a local, what a local sports station does. And uh, yeah, and then that day we uh, we got a text message that there was a conference call at 11.20. It took all of about five minutes to let us know that all of our jobs were over and the station didn't exist anymore. And uh, much like our friends in Edmonton uh, that this happened to just last week, uh, it basically started a, um, a crossroads where you had to figure out what the heck you're going to do going forward. Do you get out of the business? Do you try to get on somewhere else? Or... In my case, after, I will say, a very influential conversation with you, I had a pretty good idea that the demand for this product certainly wasn't changing. And if TSN was just going to walk out of the market and leave a blank slate, I probably more than anyone with the following that I'd built up over the last 10 years could uh, have a great opportunity to sort of keep doing it and do it under ownership of myself and my partner. And uh, I'll tell you what, two and a half years into it, uh, certainly making that um, commitment to try to do it was the best decision we've ever had. Well, that's amazing to hear, and I'm glad that you ended up going through with it because it can be like you're sitting there. I mean, you obviously you get laid off from what I assume is a dream job. Like you're probably the most influential sports voice in Winnipeg at that time being on the if the Bombers and Jets are going to be on the radio and you're on that as sort of the lead in like you're the voice, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Obviously, there was a morning show, but I mean, in sports talk, that drive show is sort of what the morning show is in most other radio formats. Um, you're talking about everything that's happened during that day, and then you're leading into when the actual games happen, which is the evening. So, um, and we were the first, I mean, we started with our show as well. I mean, we were actually working on another station that wasn't all sports, but we developed, I mean, a big following and had really good ratings and um, you know, it was a great opportunity to come to a spot where we were the priority. And uh, and yeah, I mean, we did in a lot of ways, you know, our show and Gary Lawless, my old partner, who's now with the Vegas Golden Knights, just won a Stanley Cup ring. He's had quite the quite the journey himself. Um, we were in a position to take a chance on ourselves going to a much smaller station that was not established at the time. Um, and it blew up. I mean, I, listen, I, I realize that from market to market, it's different. And this is a smaller to mid-sized market when it comes to Canada. Um, but, I mean, it is a sports town. And, I, I mean, I still maintain that this city could easily handle um, a 24-hour sports station with at least live programming from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, but as we're seeing, I mean, the trend right now is that <clears> – <throat> Sports talk is expensive for companies like Bell and Rogers um, because of the talent, because of the people. Um, like when they switched our station, they didn't turn it off like they did with 1260 in Edmonton. Essentially, we're just not operating an AM station anymore. They flipped it from the sports radio station, TSN, to something called Funny 1290, which essentially, Pat, was a bunch of comedy material that they already owned and had the rights to. They had somebody program all of these clips into a computer and someone from the traffic department put in ads and essentially you had a station that ran on its own with zero employees. Nobody listened to it. I'm not sure that they sold any ads on it, but they didn't have to pay anyone. And uh, 
That was that it really at that point, it seemed like that was the sign of the times. And unfortunately, that has not stopped at all, as we've seen with so many other layoffs of kind of people on the lower and middle end of the pack that work a lot, very hard to kind of get to the point they're at. And then, um, I mean, they can just turn the lights out. And I mean, it's not on any one individual or anything like that. It really is circumstance that uh, unfortunately leads you to, in a lot of ways, I mean, a crossroads in life, your professional career, at least, as to whether you're going to continue trying to do it or go somewhere else and do something entirely different. It's strange, too. And, and you kind of mentioned the the people who work at the station, whether it be the traffic programmers. And what that means, like you said, is making sure that the ad breaks come in time, the ad buyers at the station, you know, the, the editors, the producers, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And we talked about ESPN layoffs, and this isn't so much at The Athletic, because realistically, we kind of made a big deal about The Athletic one, but... The, I mean, it's no fun when anyone loses their jobs, but it wasn't a huge part of their workforce overall. I think it was like 14 of 200 beat writers or something like that. Whatever it might have been, it wasn't as big of a number as maybe that we thought. But ESPN is going through these layoffs right now as well. We've seen layups up in Canada, layoffs up in Canada, up at our sports stations as well. And it's usually production assistants. Like I have a very good friend who's, you know, he's on his way out at ESPN right now. He's been there for three years, three three, five, what, however many years it is, you know, doing research and producing podcasts and things like that. I mean, that stuff is very hard to replace, but all of the money is going to the talent. So uh, some people will say like, oh, you know, ESPN, go woke, go broke. I mean, I, I don't think there's actually much to that. It's just Pat McAfee's now making 20 million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the... Uh, I- I mean, listen, when you put all of your revenue into a massive purchase like the McAfee show, it's obviously going to be a a linchpin for their programming and trying to maybe do things a different way. Um, But you you invest on one side. We're putting another 20 million into this. Well, where is that money coming from? Unfortunately, it's a lot of people that uh, end up getting sacked. I mean, I'm all for, you know, efficiency and finding ways to run your business that makes sense. Um, but it seems that um, the bottom line is that there's so many people that have contributed to the growth of it that really get left behind. And um, listen, it's great to put yourself in a situation like McAfee has. I got a ton of respect for him. I enjoy his program. Um, But the other side to that, unfortunately, is um, not a great thing for a lot of people that are still very, very important parts of the machine that is something like ESPN. Oh, 100%. I don't want to sound like I'm preaching from up top of Mount Pius. If they were, if ESPN was like, hey, Pat, we'll give you 3 million bucks, but 10 people at ESPN got to lose their jobs, I'd take the 3 million bucks a year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that really is, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty simple, uh, simple decision. And it's not on Pat or anything like that. No. It's just, that is the way things are going. I mean, um, you're exactly right, though. For people that are kind of preaching the doom and gloom, I mean, let's just take it back here to Bell. I mean, they gassed um, 1260 in Edmonton last week, a station that actually was very successful, had good ratings, um, and their afternoon show was essentially bought airtime for Jason Greger. Um, you know, when they when they shut that down, they announced the same day like a $771 million profit for the quarter. I mean, the, we're not having any bake sales for TSN or anything right now. But uh, again, most of the decisions are made by guys that are uh, basically accountants in the top of uh, big buildings in Toronto. And unfortunately, uh, once you get outside of that area, 
um, you can be left behind. The irony of the whole thing is TSN 1050 outside of the Overdrive show has probably been one of, if not the most poorly performing stations of all of them. And yet it's still there because, of course, it's at the headquarters. And I'm not sure what the optics would look like if they got out and canceled their own station uh, right underneath uh, their headquarters and basically in the biggest market in the country. It's really funny, too, because that that's sort of what I always heard, even going back to like 13 years ago when I had a lot of friends who were working at TSN Radio. So for those who don't know, in Toronto, the Fan 590, there's two giant media companies within Canada that both own sports stations. There's Bell, which owns TSN. There's Rogers that owns Rogers Sportsnet. They also own the Blue Jays. So they have a lot of live rights. They bought the NHL package, which is huge business here. TSN owns like curling and the CFL uh, and things like that, which are big packages in terms of overall live sports rights and getting people to tune in. But the radio product in Toronto has always been the Fan 590, has always been the big radio station. And then TSN made this gambit like, oh, we'll start our own. People love, More people watch TSN anyway. Why wouldn't more people listen to TSN on the radio? And the similar thing happened. Like, Rogers has always been number two, regardless of what the programming that they've had, because TSN has been, along, been around so long. It's kind of like FS1 to ESPN in a lot of ways. Now, I think Rogers is a bit more successful than FS1 in terms of overall market share of the viewers but ESPN is just kind of the destination it's been the one that's been around forever so that's where people inherently go first like FS1 needs to pull you away with something else in order for you to switch the channel by and large I'm sure FS1 has it's you know legions of fans they do very well in the morning with their debate shows but in terms of live Mm -hmm. rights it's it's not the greatest so in Toronto Rogers owned the radio property that was super successful and then TSN tried to start one that to eat into that and try to take it over. It never worked. However, all of the regional ones that they set up across the country, it seemed like TSM was doing way better than Rogers was. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, there wasn't many... I don't know. I'm trying to think of whether... Well, I guess Vancouver had a Rogers and a TSN station. But, like, Edmonton had a TSN. Calgary had Sportsnet or Rogers. Winnipeg was TSN. Um, Usually it was sort of one or the other. Um, and, and and when Vancouver went down at the same time that we did in Hamilton, that was sort of a sign that, you know, e- even in a place like Vancouver, it was tough to to make money or operate with the uh, with the two stations. I mean, I, I remember when things happened and you know what, getting back to what it's like as a, you know, as a younger person that's worked so hard to be in that situation and loses the job. I actually got a call the next day from Rogers to go to Calgary. Um, And you would think, Pat, that, you know, when there's only two players in the game and you just get whacked by one of them, you get a call like that, that you're going to hang up the phone and 99% of your focus is going to be on, okay, how do I make this happen? How do I stay in the game? How do I, this is great that I got that. And uh, to be frank, I I finished that call. And again, you're still sort of like punch drunk from the shock of having your station down and look, thinking about your future. But I knew real, really quickly that something like this was what I wanted to do because I, I, I almost dismissed the call afterwards because I, I saw what was happening in all of these other markets. And to go and be a new guy in a new market that I didn't have a following on, even if I was confident in my talent and what I would be talking about, and I'm sure the shows would be fine, uh, it didn't seem like a smart move for me at that time to go in and kind of just be another guy at a station so I could say that I was on uh, on sports radio continuing. And uh, and that's essentially what got to figuring out, okay, 
as bad as the situation was with the station going down, this it has actually presented the opportunity of a lifetime to take over a product that there is plenty of demand for that the people that had been doing it for the last 10 years literally just turned out the lights, walked away and left a completely open slate. So I'm just trying to think, what would be the American city equivalent to Winnipeg? What does Winnipeg have? Just over a million people? Yeah, just under that. I mean, like Seattle? I mean, if you're thinking about that sort of a size, well, I guess, I mean, depending on if you're comparing apples to apples, like, I mean, what's the, the, yeah, not, the not, population not, of it? Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like, I mean, and the the Jets were there forever. The Jets lost their team to Arizona, and then the Jets end up coming back. So for ages, there was an AHL team that was very popular in Winnipeg, and then you still had the Blue Bombers, the CFL team, which is probably, I don't know, are the Blue Bombers the most well-attended? Like, they seem like they're the most successful CFL team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bombers went through a long time where they sucked, but they still had a pretty good fan base, and... uh um, despite getting their asses kicked this week for the first time at home in about five years, they've really been the standard over the last few years. That the franchise, probably the model franchise in the CFL right now, and they do have, uh, you know, a, a long, t- like a fan base that goes back many years. But they've done an incredible job of really getting a lot of young people into the games, and um, they uh, they're almost the standard right now on and off the field in the CFL. So the Jets end up returning, you get an NHL team back. So when I, I'm trying to comp cities in the States to it, not, not necessarily, it doesn't even need to be population, but as a sports city, like one major team and like one secondary team that maybe it could be an MLS team. Like you have one of the, in the, of the big four, maybe you have an MLB team and an ML. You know, Kansas City, to yeah. be honest. But Kansas City is relatively. They have the Chiefs though, right? Well, I mean, the Chiefs. The Chiefs would be the Jets to uh, to Winnipeg. I mean, like the Jets having an NHL team kind of puts this city on the map. And I can tell you that when the team came back in 2011, it fundamentally changed so many things about this city. Um, obviously, they didn't lose the Chiefs for 15 years, so I mean, that's sort of a really <laughs> unique thing. I'm not sure there's a comp. Um, and then you know, the Bombers would kind of be the Royals in that you know you've got a team. They weren't necessarily very good. People love going to it, um, and they have been. But I mean, it is the Chiefs. That's the Jets, and then everything else is sort of like. You know, we've got a basketball team. We've got a minor league baseball team. That would sort of be more like the MLS. But, I mean, I I can tell you when we do our shows, as much as I love the CFL and the Bombers are something we talk about in the summer, I mean, there's nothing that drives our content, our views, our downloads like the Jets. And I'm pretty sure that's the exact same thing when uh, you're talking about sports radio in in KC. Yeah, that probably is a good cop. I only had mentioned Seattle because I forgot that they had gotten a hockey team. It's just they lost the Sonics. The Seahawks are still there. They're sort of the big thing that's in town. But, I mean, the Mariners are still pretty big, too. And they get a lot of Canadian influence. Like, just so many people from B.C. drive down to go to Mariners games. You see it any time the Jays play. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean that is uh, that's a pilgrimage right now. Uh, <laughs> the, the annual takeover from uh, all the West Coast Jays fans, and to a to a lesser extent, it happens um, in the Twin Cities. Um, every time the Jays go down there, you basically got half of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Northern Ontario going in to get their Jays fix uh, <laughs> on that same trip. So, are the Vikings the NFL team of that part of the country? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, put it this way. It's very mixed. And I mean, you know what? Everyone's got a fantasy team. People have players. I mean, it, they would be number one. Um, and you do have, there's probably four or 5,000 season ticket holders for the Vikes in Southern Manitoba. Um, so, you know, every weekend that there's a Vike game, uh, you know, you'll know when there's a longer lineup at the border and people will be making it down. But I mean, if you put all NFL fans together, Viking fans might be 20%. Um, but then you've got basically all the other teams just down there. And, uh, um, but yeah, I would say, I would say the Vikings certainly would be the team with the, with the most support and certainly the most actual ticket buyers because, uh, it's by far the closest place. Although Kansas city is not that much farther to be perfectly honest with you. And it's a straight shot. You can literally close your eyes, drive straight for 10 hours and get to KC once you hit the border. Drive for 10 hours. Oh my God. Put a bullet in my fucking brain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible. Uh, nothing's close. Are there nothing's direct? Close. Are there direct flights at least? <laughs> uh, to Minneapolis, yeah, not to KC. Um, and that's the other thing. Coming out of the pandemic, um, there's a couple more direct. Like we've got a direct LA flight, Vegas, a few of those. But a lot of the the ones like we're going to Nashville um, on the weekend to do our show for the NHL draft all next week, and. Uh, it is it's way easier just to drive across the border and get a cheap direct flight from North Dakota than it is to do a milk run through Toronto and Newark and Nashville and basically be traveling for 14 or 15 hours. That's a that's a, it's unfortunately something that hasn't come back after the pandemic, the air service to a lot of the mid-sized Canadian markets. Yeah, that, that kind of happened with us out here in Halifax as well, because I, you know, you know how much I enjoy going to Europe and things like that, that there's only like two direct flights from here to Europe now. They had a whole bunch last year, like I was able to fly Halifax mm. to Paris, no problem. Those flights are now gone. So it's here to Heathrow, and there's a weird here to Frankfurt as well. But what I found out is that Frankfurt is like the Atlanta of Germany. So if you can just get there 
it goes to everywhere else in the world for a bunch of over in Europe flights are like super cheap so uh, that might actually be the way I have to travel from now on because I don't want to have to fly from Halifax to Toronto to fly to Europe because I'm backtracking two hours and then backtracking again two hours to get to the point where I'm going I could just be there at that point yeah, that's uh, how you would prefer to do it. But again, many people will say first world problems if you're able to uh, yeah, that <laughs> jet is... set around Europe. I mean, well, listen, if there's one thing that the Pat Mayo experience is known for, it is exclusively dealing in the realm of first world problems. Uh, <laughs> one that's not, though, and this is one thing I noticed, because we went through two really massive layoffs at Fantasy when I was there. I think it happened again even after I left. I mean, one of the casualties, Paul, behind the camera right now. Paul was one of them uh, who got let go at the time. We lost like half our staff at one point. They just pulled people in. It's like, yeah, you're either in or you're either out, and, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen when you walked in and looking now like 10 years into the future where we are essentially all the behind the scenes people some of them bounced around some of them got on but a lot of them are in different careers now whereas almost all of the forward facing people all ended up with jobs out of it is that what you've seen from your experience it's basically the technical people the production people to get absolutely fucked over where the hosts are usually fine somewhere uh, yes, but not entirely. Like, put it this way. The people that are really getting screwed are the ops, the producers. Like, so your theory is is correct in that case. They think they get the worst of it. But listen, I mean, in these markets like mine and in Edmonton, which was what's just happening recently in the last couple of weeks, there are a few a few of the more established people that are forward facing that are you know on the mic that are hosts i think if they have a big enough following they probably have some opportunities immediately but i mean the 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 middle ground or the younger people that are there um not so much um and the bottom line is there's just a simply um only so many gigs and especially if you're talking about sports sports is kind of niche right um and if the sports station's done that was about 80 percent of the sports jobs if you will in a market so um you either need to reinvent yourself um go into doing something specially i mean obviously with technology and you're a perfect example of this right now and obviously what we're doing as well I mean, there there are ways and means to continue cranking out the content, but as far as being hired by other people to do that, um, it was a pretty small group of people, at least from our station, that landed on other spots, and a lot of people, very popular, I mean, folks that had really good followings, um, you know, a few of them have ended up completely out of the business doing something else entirely. I, I guess uh, maybe my point is a little bit different and my experience is a little bit different because we came from a fantasy sports and gambling channel that all of the audience, like gambling companies and content providers are so starved for anyone who can get onto a camera and they don't even need to be a good better. They just need to make it seem like they understand how betting works. Like it's a very low bar in order to break into the gambling space at this point, because you, you see people on TV, on videos, no matter what it is, like they literally have no fucking clue what they're talking about. And it shows like immediately when they open their mouths. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're a good, better, bad, better. It just seems like they've never bet before, which is inherently the problem, at least with the on-air people that we had. You know, it wasn't required that people bet, but there was a reason that people worked at the stations because they like to bet. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, it makes too much sense. Um, and just speaking of the gambling space, I mean, you're exactly right. And anyone that, you know, is 
regularly following content, baking bets themselves. When you see people like that, I mean, it's the ultimate red flag for whatever they're talking about. And I, I, I've often wondered, I mean, there are so many, there's so many talented young people, people doing content, like to get folks on there that so clearly don't really know what they're talking about. It can come across as very insulting to the audience at one point. And it seems like just uh, a complete missed opportunity to get people or frankly, just uh, negligence, if you will, of the folks that are putting those people in those spots that frankly are almost set up to fail if they don't have the, if you don't really know what you're talking about and can't passionately do it, it's probably not going to look very good. Absolutely not. And listen, you can always condition yourself, learn about it, and then come off. And listen, if you do enough research, you're going to come off as someone who knows what they're talking about because you've actually put in the time. And I don't need like I don't need my people that I'm listening to. I mean, I don't listen to a ton of gambling podcasts. I do one, so I don't necessarily need to go out and listen to other ones. But yeah, it's great when the the host is betting ten thousand dollars a bet or five thousand dollars a bet. I don't need you to be betting your like life savings on every single bet. Just know how it works. <laughs> Like that. That's all I ask. Well, for. It, well, it, for sure. But to be honest with you, I mean, guys, you know, the sharpest guys in the gambling space will be hot at one point. They will be. They'll be brutal at others. I mean, the the beauty of you know your show and the chemistry you have with Jeff and Tim, um, and you know what I do with Dusty. I, you know, you need to have people that are passionate, that are fun, that you know, are creating content that win or lose is enjoyable, entertain and keeps you coming back because you almost like spending your time with those guys. Like I can't, I couldn't tell you, to be honest with you, who of all the people in the spaces are, is the sharpest ones. I can tell you the funniest and most entertaining programs to listen to because those are the ones that I consume. And, you know, frankly, I mean, you're the perfect example of this and shout out to Cust. I mean, Tim, <laughs> everything coming up Tim after the Wyndham Clark pick but you go back to the content that you guys have had out of bad picks over the course of the years I mean that to me is what it's all about it's getting that character and entertainment into the content because let's face it anyone and there's a million different waves of saying I like the Cubs minus one and a half runs tonight um, it's everything that comes around it in the product that I think give people the entertainment of watching it and get them coming back so let's talk about what you did after the layoff. You and I spoke and you had an idea because I've had the idea that you've actually put into practice is an idea that I've had for a really long time. I just don't know how to execute it. I've talked about it for ages. But can you let people know what happened in the like three months afterwards that happened? Yeah, well, as I said, I mean, I got that call from Calgary. I'm thinking, do I go there and realize that? No, I mean, it would be. I would never forgive myself of leaving this market with the following that I built up without giving a run at trying to keep at least my content going in a different space. And um, so the first thing I did was, uh, you know, hooked up with my old producer, Michael Remus, who's my partner at Winnipeg Sports Talk, and you know, got a bit of a vision. And, and originally what I wanted to do was take essentially what my show was, which was essentially from two till six on the drive home. And put that into, say, a two-hour podcast where we record it and then we upload it basically right around 3 o'clock so it's as fresh as possible for people that normally would be turning on our station and listening to me on their drive home or at that prime time. 
Um, and it would be there for them just through their phones. And it would be a little bit of a challenge to change people's listening habits. But if they wanted to get it, which we were hearing from everyone they did, it would be there for them. Um, so we needed to figure out how, A, how we were going to do it and we how we were going to make it work. And the great thing was that, I mean, because of the way that we were blown out, we were both getting paid for a few months by our former employer. Um, and essentially, the way we thought about this is worth it to to try this. We're essentially getting paid by our old spot to take back what we built for them. Um, and right off the bat, I talked to a few sponsors that had been really supportive of us during the radio days and said, can you give us three months? Give us three months, come on board to at least make it worth our while. And at that point, we'll see how the reaction is. And, you know, if it makes sense to continue, that's exactly what we'll do. So we had just four sponsors at the beginning. Um, and the biggest challenge really was figuring out, I mean, Remus went to basically YouTube University to figure out <laughs> a lot of stuff that was not part of what we had done before, pressing buttons and doing a radio, a radio show every day. And he was the one that said, listen, if we're doing this podcast anyways and we're recording it, we'd be stupid not to put it on YouTube and do it live. And I'll be honest, I almost I said, well, whatever. I mean, sure, well, we could do that. I mean, <laughs> this is really an audio, uh, a piece of, of audio that's going to get done. But that's another way people can look at it every day. Great. I really underestimated the power of YouTube, how it could help us grow, how people could find us. And then everything you can do, if you're putting two hours of content together on this, what you can do with clips and other social media things. So I give him a ton of credit with sort of envisioning it being bigger than what I had thought about it. Um, but the bottom line was two things. We needed to get some money to make sure that things that made, you know, that it was worth our while to do it. Um, and we needed to let people know that we were doing it. <clears throat> so as he put together the plan to actually execute it and be on the air, and we wanted to get out there quickly. One of the other things, Pat, was that, you know, when you when something like this happens suddenly, you have this huge response from everyone. Oh, my God, our station's over. Where are you guys? But, you know, a week goes by, <laughs> two weeks go by. People change their habits. They find other things. So I didn't want to let this go for a long time. So we made a plan that we were going to get this on in less than a month. And we did. We were fired on the 9th of February. Our first show was on March 8th. Uh, we did a video about a week and a half before announcing what we were going to do, we got all of our social tags, a logo for everything ready. So when we announced it, people could go to a link tree. And that was basically what we did. If you want to support us right now, follow us here, here, here. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you on March 8th. And um, so we did a lot of work behind the scenes to get ready to do it. I mean, the easiest part of the entire thing, frankly, was the content. I and mean, we've been doing that for 10 years every day. Everything else was somewhat new. Um, so, you know, you work through a few things, you get on the air. We had a great response right off the bat. And what what I didn't anticipate um, was just kind of how thankful so many people were that we were doing what it took to kind of keep this content going. I mean, there's a special relationship between Sports Talk listeners, their station, the on-air people. Um, and we sort of took advantage of that as well. And they became our biggest boosters. And uh uh, it, it, it's hard to imagine, actually, it's starting off any better than it did. And then from a business side of things, like we had four people that were behind us that had given us three months. Well, 
I mean, very quickly, the first few weeks, I mean, the inbox was going tons of other companies that wanted to find a way to support us. And we've just continually gradually grown. The one thing that we haven't done yet, which is sort of, which, and we will be doing this heading into next year, um, was adding more programming around it. I mean, at certain point, that was our plan and it has always been, but we really wanted to establish it and keep building our daily show. Um, and we had enough support to really make that worthwhile. Um, but now that we've done it, um, you know, we'll probably add a jet specific show, work with more of the writers here in Winnipeg from some of the other spots that like coming on to promote what they're doing as well. And, uh, you know, in addition to having a two hour daily show, you know, have a couple of other shows throughout the week um, that we can sell, sponsor, make a little money on and uh, kind of round out the programming for uh, what is Winnipeg Sports Talk. See, I love that idea. And I always thought like when the Atlantic, or not the Atlantic, the Athletic launched, I thought it was a really great idea because you had the situation where, hey, people in Cleveland want to hear about Cleveland. People in Dallas want to hear about Dallas. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they have like their, their drive time stations, their radio stations, but to have in like the local media coverage is like whatever. But if you have like actual a sports section with high-end writers specifically for your city, I could see how that could turn out really well. But, like, why not have a... And having everything linked together works well. So, I mean, if you're a, a fan of Cleveland and they're playing the Chargers that week, I mean, old-school style, you go on to Athletic San Diego and check out what's going on with the Chargers or, or something like that. Just having that interconnected network and then allow yourself to have, like, one head ad buyer who can sell ads for all of these different places along with your local buyers. Why wouldn't that work, like, the athletic model in terms of YouTube and podcasting as well? Like, just have one, basically, mm-hmm. main station. I know The Ringer does a little bit of it. ESPN has done a little bit of it. But just to have one giant network of, hey, here's the Charleston channel. And, like, it's all free. Like, you make all your money off ad buys. And you would essentially try to run it. Like, there's a comedy podcast network called Maximum Fun. A lot of it is user-supported. Uh, like, it's one main hub, but, like, the creators are the ones who really reap the rewards of everything. And then, you know, Maximum Fun makes enough money throughout, like, the advertising, like, mid-roll podcasting type stuff or merchandising that they can sustain, like, sustain the network and keep that going. But most of the money goes to the people actually doing the shows. Uh, You could, I guess, find yourself into a situation where, you know, the guy that you hire or the people that you hire to do the show in the city suck and you have to replace them, uh, and that could cause some waves. But it seems like a no-brainer. It's just a lot of organization. Yeah, well, no, for sure. And, and listen, you know, guys like us in markets where they just shut the station down had unique opportunities because, I mean, I could have definitely started my own thing. Like, listen, the last few years, I mean, we all saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I had been to seven straight Super Bowls and had it in my contract when they sort of bought my mine and Gary show from them um, that we'd continue to do that. Well, it didn't really matter much uh, a couple years in. Actually, no, we don't have the money for this. We're like, wait a second. This is what we negotiated. Sorry, nothing you can do about it. I mean, we've saw the way things were going. And I had thought at times, maybe you could go and just do my own thing. There's no way we would have been able to have the success that we had as quickly without taking advantage of the fact of them just shutting down and having that chasm. So... I, I will say that, you know, in some of the markets where there already is other sort of content, it's more of a challenge. But the bottom line is, if you do it well, 
if you do it with people that have good followings that really connect with the audience, it's absolutely possible. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you that there'll be something like what we're doing popping up in Edmonton. I mean, we know a lot of those guys. They've kind of seen what we've done over the last two years and known that it was very likely that their station would fall down the same way. And I think they were somewhat prepared for it. Um, and the one guy, you know, based on what you were talking about, the one group that I think has really maybe tried to do that a little bit more and spread their wings is um, the Nation Network. Um, they got a big influx of capital, I think $15 million from a company called Playmaker. Um, so they had the Oilers Nation site, Flames Nation, I mean, Canucks Army. They're far bigger in the Alberta, specifically the Edmonton market than the others. But even in the Calgary market, I mean, Boomer and Ryan Pinder, who were the morning show on Sportsnet 960, their station, they left without the station being shut down. They're now doing a show, <clears throat> excuse me, for uh, for the Nation Network, and it seems to be doing quite well. So, um, you know, that's probably a much larger, higher level than where we are at right now just because of the amount of money they came in. And they've talked to us about getting involved. Uh, to be honest, it just didn't make a lot of sense for us right now because we've done it all our own. We own it all ourselves. And I don't know, after everything, once you go through working with the big companies <laughs> and you have success on your own, uh, it's going to take a lot to take that sort of control out of your own hands because um, <laughs> the minute it's not, the minute you're the one that's not making the decisions, things can get a little, uh, a little hairy at times. And uh, I don't know, we're, we're loving where we're at right now, but I mean, there certainly is potential for that. And I wouldn't be surprised if in five, 10 years, whether we are part of it or not, what you've just described somewhat of a national network, a connection of all of these groups together um, is either officially together or almost pseudo just working with each other, scratching back, come on our show. We'll come on your show and having a connection with it. Albeit maybe the finances are done separately from market to market. You see, that's the kind of idea that I would be getting into. And you'd have to make that you'd have to make that the rev split for the actual shows itself was big enough that people would actually want to do it and continue to contribute to it. But let's talk a little bit about the network that in your show in particular, you mentioned owning it. And that's been you know kind of the one piece of advice that I try to give to everyone. The moment that you can own your content, own it, because then you can do whatever the hell you want with it. But it does come with some drawbacks, like the amount of ad meetings that I have to sit into to try to sell the show off to people. Like I was just talking to Lexus for like, you know, an hour, an hour every two days for like the past six weeks because I have to talk to one ad person, then another ad person, and then pitch a deck to them and come up with that. Like, I don't have an ad buyer at Mayo Media Network. I still do all of that. Like, basically, I hired a lawyer to make sure the lawyer is good. I hired an accountant to make sure the accountant is good, and I do the rest myself. And I'm sure that you guys are in a very similar boat. Yeah, um, I basically handled that for the most part, but again, doing it more on a local level. Um, and again, being sort of established in the market and knowing lots of folks, uh, it, it hasn't been as cumbersome as I really thought that it was because I mean, as I said, that's how we originally started our show before we even went to TSN. We just got airtime. We made it worth our own while. And we had put that together. I, I, I think, you know, once we get to the point where we're trying to sell huge packages or maybe title sponsorships of new shows where it's all based on your your downloads and your listens and your trends and all that it probably will become more cumbersome but to be honest on the local level i mean these are often one-to-one -one deals 
Um, I send them an invoice every month. They know I'm doing and and, and the direction, like losing that middleman. <clears throat> so from a customer that's doing a two-week sale on uh batteries for boats, because summer's here, just used to an example, they can just fire me a quick email. Hey, Hus, hit this over the course of the next couple of weeks. We're doing a big sale for boat batteries and give me a couple things. It's super simple, it's easy, it doesn't take a lot on my end. Um the biggest thing is getting the deals done originally making sure you're taking care of them with what you've promised um and then being there for them if they want to change it out but um i i think that maybe at our level we're i think right in the sweet spot where we've got a great group of sponsors um that are not taking a lot of time other than just updating what they want to set out and they've been super happy with the results that they've seen so uh we always tell people come commit to us for three to four months just to to give it a run everyone stayed on afterwards and now we're two years afterwards so i'm pretty fortunate for that like we haven't had to spend a lot of time replacing sponsors if anything the challenge is adding these new programming so we have room to get more people in because to be honest we're at the point for the daily show where it's pretty tough to add any more advertising content in without it being sort of cumbersome on the product and obviously you don't want that to happen and, and this works out well too so one of the things that happens at a lot of these places is that there's a lot of bloat when it turn when it comes to you know people we talked about efficiency earlier so even when i was at fantasy or all of the places i've kind of worked at the moment that you get a lot bigger you all of a sudden have a bunch of redundant people who were there you have three people doing the job of one person or five people doing the job of one person that's why that Paul and I were able to break out and do this show by ourselves because when we worked at Fantasy, there was like 11 people working on a show at once. Like, it probably just needs a host and one person behind the camera. Like, let's be real here for the, the type of content that we're putting out. Like, we don't need the lighting guy. Like, no offense to the lighting guy. He did a great job. But once you put in the fucking lights, you know, unless one burns out, you're probably good to go. We have a broom in our studio right now that we just punch the light over a little bit, whether it's one person or two people in studio. And when I worked at Sportsnet, like these were six-figure jobs, and they would only do lighting. I just I very vividly remember like they had to get something ready for like an impromptu show an impromptu hit because a trade broke or something like that and they had to go live there the lighting guy was on break it's like can you get him back it's like now he told me to go fuck myself he's on a union break like it's not a big surprise some of these jobs went away <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't agree more I mean listen at that level especially in television it's like next level even from radio um, but there's a lot of cooks. There was always something. I mean, if you're the one that's putting together all the content, then you kind of realize like that is the product and it's not to diminish what some people are doing, but, um, you do wonder how they came to putting that is just one job. And another person does that, um, at a time where they're cutting so much and putting so much on particular people's plates. Um, uh, but I mean, moving forward, I mean, once you're out of that and certainly no one on their own would be starting a setup like that um it's pretty easy to figure out what the priorities are what you have to get done and uh listen if you're bringing on another person uh making sure that they can do a bunch of things to help you get to where you want to go because the bottom line is i mean especially if you're smaller you're independent 
you don't have the opportunity of hiring a guy just to come in and put the lights on, if you will. Exactly. And if you do, that usually costs a ton of money. So where I'm seeing with you guys now, yeah. if you're expanding your coverage because more sponsors want to get in, you know, you run the risk of diluting your product a little bit unless the product is really, really good. Like we've had some trial and error at Mayo Media Network trying out new shows, new sponsors, whatever it might be. And I'm very satisfied with the amount of stuff that has hit well and that stuff has stuck around. There's other stuff that we've tried that hasn't stuck around because it just didn't work all that well because you need to have the right people at the right time to be able to do this. But you're seeing it now. You see these big companies that may or may not be turning a profit, laying off everyone and shutting down their studio, leaving you know a bit of dirt and rubble on the ground. You guys come up come in and you know put a test case in it's working and now you guys are a small business that are growing and now you're hiring people and i guarantee you the jobs that you will provide for these other shows be it for on-air people production people whatever it is you're not going to hire too many people and the people that you do hire will probably get paid pretty well <laughs> absolutely they'll do a lot of things i mean we're going to want someone that's versatile that can handle a bunch of different things but you know absolutely we will i mean that's one of the things that just blows me away. Um, you know, when you find out, you know, kind of how low paying some of the jobs are for with these big companies. I mean, you have to see these young people. Oh, my God, they got this dream job. They're, uh, you know, doing sports center on the weekends. And then you sort of find out how they're paying people, young people that are starting. And that's why they keep firing older folks that have been doing a great job for a long time because they can replace them with someone younger and cheaper. And that sort of unfortunately is the cycle. I mean, unless you are the show and you've got some ownership in it. So no, you're, you're, you're exactly right, Pat. And um, uh, just the one other thing I'll say about, you know, as you grow, um, you know, the, the jobs working with something, you know, a group like ours, um, you know, you have to find that right person that's not afraid of learning and doing new things. Um, because if you do get that, like we put a third person uh, in with myself and Michael, the different responsibilities that they will be able to take over, help benefit us will certainly help us. But I think from just from an experience standpoint, preparing them for what they're going to be doing in two to three years, they'll have the ability to have their hands in so many things working with a smaller operation like ours than they would being pigeonholed into a particular job working with one of the big companies. And not having a lot of control over uh, any upward mobility in their career. Oh, for sure. And then they can take the skills. And there's one thing, like when you hire someone, I've had this a bunch, whether it be hosts, whether it be producers, like Paul and I have our thing here in the studio, but you know, there's been probably like 40 people that have come in and out of Mayo Media Network. And I just kind of sell it to people. It's like, hey, you're going to do a lot of work here uh, in terms of the variety of what it's going to be. Use this as a stepping stone to go, if you're a host, to go get a mm -hmm. bigger show. That means I'll pay you well. You can go get more money. Go get more money. Like, that's awesome. If you're a producer and you can get a full-time gig somewhere that's not part-time. Like, I, I think that some there are people in the industry who, listen, everyone's going to act in their own self-interest when it comes down to it anyway. I mean, don't pretend like everyone should just be loyal to you because you're currently signing their paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> that if you can provide them an opportunity and you can tell them straight up, like, if you get a better opportunity, I'll help you get it. Like, we can find other lessons. I've had people come in and out. No one, I mean, the only person who's probably irreplaceable, I would guess, at Mayo Media Network is probably me because if I die, I have all the passwords. Other than that, 
<laughs> you can get someone who kind of like looks like me and yells and you can just replace <laughs> them on my show. As long as they're friends with Tim and Jeff, I think they'll be good to go. So you can have a revolving door of people like that and they can get good experience, a lot of experience. And you know, we kind of have a template set up. Like, you know, we send people a list, like here's the stuff that you're going to need to do. Here are YouTube links to learn how to do it if you're unfamiliar with how to do it. It's just out before, like I went to two years of broadcasting school. I don't need that shit now. I, I, I know the YouTube videos to go look <laughs> at to, to find out what I know for free. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, listen, as I said, Remus went to U uh, University of YouTube to figure out all of it, and he's doing an incredible job of putting out a show that looks pretty damn good five days a week. Um, there is There is so much there. You just want the person that's working for you to be able to be excited about doing a bunch of different things and really lean into it. Um, because like the benefits to them, to you uh, and, and to the company uh, are, are so much more when you have a smaller group of people that are really incentivized to, um, to take it to that next level and knowing that everything they're doing and everything they're learning on the job is going to help them whether they stay with where they're at right now or do their own thing in in advance. I mean, let's face it, there's going to be a lot more people doing the sort of thing that we're doing right now five and ten years in the future. I don't think there's any doubt. And, you know, for a younger person that's coming out of a broadcasting program or a, some sort of a radio and TV, I mean, I, I don't even know what to tell those people right, right now other than, you know, find a spot where you can really grow yourself and maybe get on a path to doing your own thing because uh, I hate to say it, but the jobs that you dreamed of getting when you were in high school and planning to go into those programs just simply don't seem to be there. And they're certainly not secure, um, less secure probably than any other industry right now. For sure. And like, if you're going to get into production, like there's a lot of value in production and some people are making a ton of money being an editor, being a producer, being a graphics person, but essentially, you know, places don't have eight graphic designers anymore. They have one and they make templates for other people to go fill out that you can hire at a cheaper rate at the bigger places. But if you can be in-house somewhere and have those skills where you can both edit, create moving effects and do Photoshop, like all of a sudden you're like the most valuable person on the team. hundred percent, hundred percent. So looking at it that way, I think is very interesting of how you can branch out. If you were to start up, like it's both the best and worst time to start up. Like it's never been cheaper to start up, even if you are coming out of broadcasting school. Like you, you probably own a phone. I mean, my iPhone shoots in 4K. You could, I have a dongle that I could hook a microphone up to and a tripod for it. I can broadcast from anywhere in the world at this point. Make it look good. Yeah, I, well, listen, I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, if you want to do it at a certain level, you might want to be putting a little bit more into it. I know you've done that with the studio and with some of the cameras, and that's something we're working towards continually trying to improve. But, I mean, as I say, Michael's done a great job. If you would have told me that this was the product we'd be putting out at this point based on what we knew going into it, I would have uh, it would have blown me away. Um, but you're exactly right. I mean, listen, there's a lot of technology right now there's no excuse for not doing it because of what's available i i guess that is the point and you know there's a very small amount of your audience that's gonna oh this is not like the 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 best cinema looking product well i'm not a, i'm not a, i'm out i'm not listening to it anymore i mean you know what the bread and butter of your product is and that is the actual content but you can separate yourselves from looking like your production levels on another <clears throat> you know a lot better than most of the stuff out on youtube you've done a great job with the uh 
you know, over at Mayo Media, and that is something that uh, that we've done, and we've tried to do as well, and it's continually gotten better. It's been a focus, something that's kind of been a priority. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, the visual stuff is like my show has always been because I started at Fantasy and we had all the equipment uh, and then I was you know, doing my own thing. But DraftKings came in and provided a lot of that stuff. And now I've built my own studio to do it in that, you know, COVID kind of fucked us in a weird way. Um, it turned out great for you know, the golf show and things like that when golf came back and everyone is only interested in golf for about three months. It brought in a lot of new people. But <laughs> we had been using Zoom since 2000. People didn't even know Zoom existed. We've been using it since 2017. Uh, as our way to get remote guests. And people were like, how do you get remote guests on video? To have it come in HD? It's like, I don't know how to do that. Uh, that turned out the entire world now figured out how to do it. People could shoot their shows from home. So the standard for what people would accept, be it on broadcast TV, on YouTube, whatever it might be, that just diminished. Like, it didn't need to be the very highest. So you're right. As a separator of us versus a lot of other shows, our production quality needs to remain at a certain standard that's a little bit above everyone else, you know, because people are giving out winning picks. When you're giving out losing picks, you need to have, like, a, a nice glossy light setup inside of your studio. <laughs> but the biggest thing, honestly, that I would give as any piece of advice is make sure that your mics aren't fucking staticky and people can hear what you're talking about very clearly. <laughs> oh, Listen, it does not matter. You can have this thing, your product look like a Francis Ford Coppola motion picture. If your mic sucks or you've got an issue on it, I mean, I often, you know, we think so much about the YouTube product. There's still more people that listen to our show via podcast than there are on YouTube every day. And that's one thing you cannot forget. But yes, microphones, the audio um, has to be where you start. And then the better you can make it look, awesome. But uh, it, it has to start with clear, high-quality audio. And again, that is not a difficult thing to do if you know what you're doing. For sure. And I like we're in the same boat at the Pat Mayo Experience. And all of Mayo Media Network, all of our audio shows get exponentially more downloads and listens than video views. Now... The good thing about doing video, I mean, for you guys, you can do it live. So anyone that doesn't want to download the podcast and wants to listen in real time, they buy some YouTube premium or get one of those third-party apps, just have it open on their phone. They can listen to it like they're listening to the radio. Most cars, you can probably get YouTube on, has like one of your dials on it now and just stream it live. And that works out perfectly for you to reach an audience. And there's no real SEO value in a lot of podcasts. So being on YouTube and being in mm -hmm. Google, like... Even being in the, like, I remember Tambo was asking me, because when they started to ship it nation, he's like, you know, we don't really care about the monetization of our YouTube channel. It's like, we're not going to make like millions of dollars off of it. So like, why even have it? I was like, it's actually important to do if you want people to discover your show, because YouTube is more favorable to shows that turn on YouTube and don't have copyrighted stuff, like just weird shit like that, that... YouTube being owned by Google and then having your name pop up in Google searches and being like the, the highest, I always call it like a G-list celebrity, that if you can type in something and you pop up into Google, it's such a benefit to you, your brand, your show, and the expansion of your audience that... I mean, it's, it's not incalculable. You can probably pretty much draw a direct line between this and this and moments in time when you do pop up of how much your show actually expands. Oh, 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 dude, you're so right. I mean, you know, for us, I mean, there's so many people that find us through just putting in Winnipeg Jets. I mean, you're putting in Winnipeg Jets or Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Chances are at the top or right near the top is Winnipeg Sports Talk with our latest stuff that we've been doing. And that is, 
a big, big part of, um, you know, the growth that we've uh, that we've seen. And the other thing that cannot be underestimated by having, a, you know, by doing the live show the way we do it. And I'm sure you would agree with the uh, the feedback you're getting from folks on uh, especially the golf shows that you do and football with stuff with uh, with Pat and uh, or sorry, with Tim and uh, and Jeff is the like we've created a new community of sports fans in Winnipeg that literally come together every day when we're on the air. And sometimes they're going at it and talking about shit that we are not even discussing on the program. <laughs> I mean, it can get completely off the rails, but they're all there every day. They feel a part of it as well. And that's something that I, I mean, listen, we all loved, or well, some people love, some people didn't like, you know, the crazy callers after the game, I mean, that was sort of a big part of sports radio. Now, we're not putting all these people on the air, but everyone feels that they can come in in an area where there's a few hundred sports fans that are you know, interested in the same stuff that they've been thinking about, talking about with their friends, and put their hottest of takes back and forth. And sometimes we'll talk about it on the air, but at least they can do it with themselves. And that... That the starting that community it was something that I hadn't even thought about, and you know, then we'll do Winnipeg Sports Talk events now. Um, we've had a few bar nights, a sports trivia night. We're doing a ball game, and these people all come together and they feel like they're friends because they've been hanging out every day. And this it's something unique, and I think the pandemic probably has part of it as well with people connecting in different ways. Um, but YouTube that's just something that doesn't happen on podcast. So that's another area that um, we didn't really anticipate, but has been a massive, massive part of, I think the enjoyment and the growth of the show by a lot of people that are regular listeners or viewers with us every day on the program. I think that's something that Morency has done really well over the years, cultivated that sort of core audience that feels like a community yeah. around his product. I do find it really funny though, because what you guys have done is essentially replaced a TSN radio product, except you get to make all the money off of it now, not Bell. <laughs> Listen, that's it. That is it. And Pat, you know, I mean, and it's great and we laugh about it, Um, but that's when I said to Reem, I said, let's give this a chance. If, if, if nothing else, they're paying us for four or five months or however much we got when we got, you know, bought out or blown out, depending on how you come in. We're going to take this we're going to work our asses off. We're going to build up something. It essentially takes back everything that we built over that. And that is really what's happened. And listen, at the same time, we're seeing what's happened in newspapers. Um, and, and like next week, myself and Michael, we're going to be in Nashville all week. This could be the craziest week in Jets history. I mean, for folks that follow hockey, I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Scheifele, Connor Hellebuck. I mean, the Jets' top players all potentially being traded. So the interest has never been higher. We're going to be there, boots on the ground. The Winnipeg Free Press isn't sending anyone. The Sun isn't sending anyone. Sportsnet has one of the best writers on the Jets around. He's not going to be there. So we are going to be there. And it it is just an, such an interesting changing of the guard how – you know, these companies that have been in business for a long time can't identify how important this is and make it work to send one of their people there. Um, but I do an extra little side deal with one of our sponsors that kind of covers our bills. And we're going to be able to go for one of the biggest and most important weeks that we've had. Um, there's as things diminish when the more traditional media is, there is so much more opportunity for 
independent operations that are consistent and respectable. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes for us. I think it'll be one of the biggest weeks, if not ever, for Winnipeg Sports Talk, just with what we're going to be able to produce from Nashville. And the fact that a lot of the traditional markets won't be there um, is just going to help us, I think, even more grow it and make it worthwhile. Well, just how many in total, were there three of you going or just two of you? There's just two of us, me, uh, Michael and I. All right, so the cost is way down. Like if you know, the Winnipeg, I mean, if they, I guess if the Winnipeg Winnipeg Free Press was going to send someone, you know, they would just be writing about whatever. So you'd send one person. But if they're going to go do any media, especially like Sportsnet, for example, if they sent the Winnipeg guy, well, then you need a you need a field producer to go with them. You need a cameraman to go with them. You need them to go. Then you have to pay for the time to go to the broadcast truck to use the satellite to send it back. Like. <laughs> They don't have to do it that way, but that is how they do it until they can break that mold. It's going to be self-funded people. You went to the fucking World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that was an opportunity that came out. I still, I mean, can't believe I, I got a call saying, hey, uh, we just done a sponsorship deal with uh, the, uh, the, the site that I do a lot of work with. And the guy goes, uh, hey, would you be interested in doing your show in Doha in November? And, and Pat, I, honest to God, I had to go to Google. I'm like, where is Doha? <laughs> and then I realized it was Qatar. I'm like, holy shit, the World Cup. And uh, yeah, but I mean, you know what? That's the thing. You know, if you can produce your own stuff, like, I mean, it's pretty simple, man. Like you just said, as far as those sort of items, you, you got a good phone. You can edit something. You can crank it out. I mean, it, it, it's so easy to do those sorts of things. And yes, I mean, if you're going to put it on television on a 30 second show on sports center, maybe it's a little different. The standard is way different though, when it comes to those, um, you know, independent productions, if you will. And my God, I mean, that's sort of an opportunity just to get there um, just puts you on a whole different level. And um, that, that was fun. The Wi-Fi in Qatar was better than my Ethernet here in Canada, too. So uh, <laughs> we, we learned a lot about productions from uh, from that. But, yeah, I mean, going to next week, I mean, the two of us are going to go there. I mean, it'll cost us four or five grand when it's all said and done. You know, we're in the media hotel. Connections we'll make with other people just for the show throughout the year would be worth it anyways to go. Um, but to be able to do our show, do additional content in and around the team at a time where there is so much interest in it. Um, it's, uh, I think it's going to work out really well for us, but I am really surprised at the extra opportunity because some really talented people and good friends of ours that are working for some of the other places that normally would be there aren't. Um, but again, that's somewhat sign of the times and now that's good for people doing things like we are. Yeah, and it'll just turn out like if uh, Sportsnet doesn't send anyone to cover the Jets beat, all of a sudden you're getting a call and they didn't happen to need the satellite stuff or the cameraman anyway, because you can just record yourself and, and they'll use that because you're on the scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the sports net's interesting because Sean Reynolds, who does a lot of national stuff and does the jet stuff, he'll be there doing reporting. But I mean, Ken Weeb, who's the writer on the team that does um, has done so much. And those guys do a show together. Um, I was just surprised. And I mean, I, I feel bad for the guys because I know how much they, they would want to be there doing that stuff. But again, 
I don't make those decisions. That's not on me. Um, uh, we're finding a way to do it ourselves with the help of some of our sponsors. And uh, as I say, that's just another step in trying to grow this into something that, you know, is not kind of a novelty niche thing in addition to everything else. But honestly, one of the places that I think Winnipeg people, at least in sports fans, are going to first on a regular basis, whether it's on the show, whether it's on our social channels, because of the amount of content we're cranking out and not continuing to grow. All right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Andrew Patterson, follow him on Twitter at Hustlerama. I mean, this will probably come out while you're in Nashville. I'm banking some shows from when I go on vacation. You know how I don't like I got to. You. you know how I don't like to not have content out, even though I'm not here. I'm going out west too. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Um, you know, I would just say uh, if, if you're interested in what we're doing on the show, uh, our our handle for the YouTube, for Twitter, for Instagram, Facebook, everything to do with Winnipeg Sports Talk is at Sports Talk WPG. If you want to hear guys obsessing about the Winnipeg Jets every day and uh, a bunch of other nonsense, uh, join us. We're live uh, 1 p.m. Central, Monday to Friday. And that is the one thing, and I'm sure you would agree, Pat, that I would tell anyone starting this, there is no substitution for consistency you got to set a schedule you got to commit to it and you got to do it day after day and uh it's been a hell of a lot of fun doing it thanks a lot for having me man this is a great chat yeah no problem yeah i think that's a great piece of advice and something that i've always kind of lived by as long as i've had my show even when i was working at other places that i made sure that there was a very stringent schedule that if you actually want to do this and get paid to do this you have to remember that you're still competing with 98% of people who are doing this for free because they love to do it. What different ways can you set yourself apart? One, oh, the, I know that Pat Show comes out at this time every day. I know that Hustler's on the air at this time every day. And unless there's something like outrageous that happens that they're just not going to miss this. Like, because you, you kind of hit on it. Like, if you guys didn't get up and running right away, people's habits would have changed and they just would have fucking forgot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I no, do it all it, the time it, it, with shows. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and to be honest, if we'd started off, we had a good thing, and then like, ah, we don't feel like doing it on Thursday, or you know what, I'm going to go golfing this day, and we're not, I mean, that's amateur hour. I mean, if you want to be, if you want to be something that people take seriously, you got to let them know what they should expect, and then deliver it, and uh, if you're a daily show like we are, that means doing it every single day, being ready to go, so uh, uh, th that's the one thing I will tell folks, and you might not get all of your response or the traction right off the bat, but doing it day in, day out, um, it doesn't happen if you don't do that. So uh, um, we'll uh, we'll keep doing it one o'clock central every day. Uh, and uh, as they say, Pat, uh, we'll uh, see you. If you're ever out in the middle of the country, make sure to stop in. We'd love to get you a couple cold ones here in the peg. Well, I, I have been to Winnipeg once in an airport for 15 minutes, uh, so... That that's my extent and my wife went the there once for work minutes. and I, I mean I, I hate to say it my wife's review was like get me the fuck out of here it was like December it was like minus 40 yeah. or something oh. like that she's like no thank you <laughs> yeah they, they were talking about oh should the Jets have the all-star game no we're not getting the, have the draft get everyone here at the end of June or July when it's awesome uh, we we go from minus 36 in the winter it was plus 36 on Tuesday right now there's that it is a city of extremes, I will say that, but uh, love it, and uh, we're having a great time here, and I will say this, the sports fans of Winnipeg have uh, 
rewarded us with um, incredible support since we started this. And uh, looking forward to talking about where we're at in a year or two years with you, Pat. And uh, obviously, just on a personal note, I got to thank you again. Uh, that conversation with you right after we got blown out was something that really did help give me the confidence that uh, this is something we should do and uh, we haven't looked back. Well, I'm glad to see you thriving and leaving me in the dust and growing the channel. So everyone should go check them out, even if you don't care about Winnipeg sports. Huss was a good dude. And like you said, it's not so much about picks and the analysis. It's about hanging out, creating a community, and they have an amazing community over there. So go check that out right now. Smash like and sub to the channel to help us out and create our community while you are here. And that'll do it for me. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.